This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome, and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now you can call Alex at 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. He needs just your first name and where you're calling from. He doesn't need to know what you're calling about or anything else. And, Mr. Kelly, before you take off, maybe you did not say 170. Maybe I didn't understand your country twang. And I'm saying country twang. <laughs> country twang. <laughs> oh, because geez. last week I went to Valmar. Yeah. And wow, when you turn you know, and go west off three mm-hmm. on 156 and go mm-hmm. down to the Bluff Road. Oh, you off, went that way. Yeah. Okay. And so, man, oh, man, spectacular. It's God's country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, did you come back Bluff Road? Or did you go back to Route 3? I went back to Route 3. Okay, because if you go down Bluff Road, the bluffs are just gorgeous. I'll bet All they the are. time. No, any time of the year, they're beautiful. And uh, you can see it, it, when you come around by Fountain and you look up, if you're heading, well, either way, you can see the, the cemetery up on top and the mausoleum, which is closed. You can't go there. <gasps> Moose out front should have told you. That's kind of a joke. <laughs> anyway, uh but yeah, but it's beautiful, beautiful. It love it down there, and the, just you know, the weather's made this year so spectacular. Anyway, yeah. so it was just beautiful. Yeah. So I mean, this house was actually up on a small bluff, mm-hmm. log cabin. They just recently built it. Yeah, and so it was uh, really kind of part of the driveway was probably at a maybe. 50 degrees. Yeah. It was really <laughs> steep. And they'd sent me an email earlier saying, we don't know if you have a four-wheel drive because we don't know if your car can make it up our driveway. <laughs> so do you? No. <laughs> Did it? <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Now, when it, you know, I always wonder, people, we have a house like that right at the bottom of the hill. We go up the hill onto the bluff. But at the bottom, there's one like that. And they keep like a four-wheeler at the bottom. Because when it snows or whatever, right. you know, and, and so you have to either be self-employed where you don't have to get out or something because, or have your own plow. Because, yeah, some of the houses around there, it's a steep climb for it sure. It was really unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, you went across, a, I think, two different sets of train tracks and everything else. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, really kind of striking. The whole, Good. you know, the panorama and everything else. And then, of course, you know, from their home, mm-hmm. they're just totally surrounded by woods. So it made me think, well, this is probably very similar to what you. It, pretty close. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. By the way, uh, do you ever garden naked? I don't think so, but... Uh, Today is World Naked Gardening Day. Really? Yeah, it's also Get Outside Day. So, uh, but but I thought, you know, you and your listeners might be interested in World Naked Gardening Day. Now, who would so. come up with something like that? 
It wasn't me. I just read them, folks. Hope the neighbors are inside today. Well, great. Well, thanks for sharing. I, I'll be sure and get naked before I leave today. No, it's not. It's not Naked Garden Hotline Day. Oh, it is? It's, no, oh. no, it's not that. Please. Okay. <laughs> yes, folks, on Saturday morning, we get together and have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting your bluff home or your backyard, side yard, front yard. How about uh, how about your herb gardens? How's it doing? Oh, it should be starting to smell pretty good for those some of those perennial herbs. And it is time to start getting th- certain things planted. And the taste of the tropics. Uh, I don't have my house plants out yet, but I'm going to take them out today. But I have to be very, very careful where I place them because when you first take them out, uh, you don't want to put them in direct sun regardless of whatever type they are because they will sunburn. And uh, using the potting mix for your containerized plants and improving your soil to have better drainage and uh, shearing and pruning, bugs, diseases, information that I'll share with you uh, hopefully will make it uh, a little bit better to solidify your options And the final judgment always will be up to you. And this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you inviting me into your home, your car, or wherever you happen to be listening. As I said before, another very important player in this game is Alex. He's producing. When you call in, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120, he just needs your first name and where you're calling from. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. And I can come to your home and do landscape consultations. Today, after the show, I'm headed to Webster and then down to Arnold. So it should be really fun. Two totally different kind of uh, home landscapes. I always look at Google Earth when I'm, you know, and put the address of where I'm going just so I can kind of get some kind of idea of what uh, the homes are like. So this should be a fun day as far as that goes. But just like last Saturday, I went to Valmire, and that was really kind of fun going down there. I wish it wasn't you know, quite as rainy as it was, but that's the way it goes. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, and if you'd like to have a walk-to-talk where I come to your home, just go to the homepage. That's where my email address is and phone number where I can be reached. Well, let's get moving. Today's stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Stepping out of the car, wow. Lighted sky. It's, this has probably been the first week, you know, for the Good Gardening Stroll in a while that it's actually been light and bright enough. Birds were chirping and the sound of cascading water in the distance. Next, a solitary bee house crafted by Jerry in memory of his wife, Pearl. There's a service berry with quarter-inch fruits. So it finished flowering a couple weeks ago, a month ago or so, and now it's setting the fruit. Massive spireas, redbud tree, Camouflages the rain barrels, butterfly garden, and the Cornelison Con- uh, Conservation Corner. Ornamental grasses are alive. And a quote from Hans Christian Andersen: "Just living is not enough," said the butterfly. One must have sunshine, freedom, and a little flower. So that's from Hans Christian Andersen. Well, where am I today? I'm at Brightside St. Louis. That's Southwest Avenue and King's Highway. In their demonstration garden, a combination of many perennials, too many to list. And uh, so, so right now, most spectacular is a color blue. Pale blue is in several different locations. I'm not going to tell you what plant it is. You're going to have to find out yourself. And so just like I said, various other things going on. 
Uh, several different trees have birdhouses hanging from them or birdhouses underneath. There's a bald cypress tree at the rain garden and a board walkway go- going across a cascading stream. So that's where the sound was coming from. Various walkways, and one of them is of broken glass. 16,500 crushed bottles of glass were mixed in to make this walkway. And when the sun shines on it, it ex- it's really sparkles. The Prairie Garden faces King's Highway. There's boulders all over the place that really set a natural tempo to the whole situation. And the giant sunflower trio offers shade for the benches underneath. Patches of lawn have recently been mowed. They accentuate some of the lighted, uh, some of the bed spaces. And they light these uh, giant uh, sunflowers with LED lights. And there was uh, some quotes on what an LED light means as opposed to a regular uh, light. And these LED lights last for 50,000 hours. Unbelievable. Sign on the door says visitors not allowed inside because of you know what, but uh, you're certainly welcome to tour their garden. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, we're going to start off with Rich, and he lives in St. Louis. Hi, Rich. Hey, Mike. Love your show, man. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Hey, uh, uh, I'm getting ready to put a couple of bigger boxwoods in, a couple of kind of bigger containers, probably like a 30-gallon boxwood, Mm -hmm. and I plan on keeping it outside all year round. And I just wasn't really sure on what mixture of soil or potty mix I should put in my container for the boxwood. Uh, basically, just use potting mix. You don't have to mix up anything else in it at all. That should be adequate. And then just when you fertilize, make sure you use a fertilizer for acid-loving plants. If you want to mix in a little bit of extra peat moss, you can, but that's not really necessary. So just those big bags of potting mix that you can get at your uh, my local nursery? Yeah. It's fine to just plant, plant the whole thing in there? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've been growing things in containers for th- probably three decades now, and that's all I've ever used. Okay, great. I just wasn't sure if that was, um, it seems when you take it out of the bag, it just seems so kind of light. I didn't know. Oh, it is very light. And that's, I mean, just make sure the pot that you're going to, you know, plant in has drainage holes. You cover those drainage holes with uh, something to prevent the potting mix from, let's say, leaking out or leaching out through the holes. But beyond that, when it's about half full, go ahead and water it and then, you know, set your boxwood in and then go ahead and fill around the boxwood. And it's okay to put maybe a filler in there, right? It doesn't have to all be all soil. Absolutely mix, right? right. Usually, you know, I have very pretty large pots. So usually the bottom third is either like a bee rock, which is kind of a brown river rock. Also, mm-hmm. that helps stabilize. And in the past, I've actually used styrofoam peanuts, which was a mistake. I just thought I'd try it. I'd heard about it, and it just turned into be somewhat of a nightmare. But uh, now I just, you know, like the one th- third bottom or one third of the bottom is uh, yeah. bee rock. Okay, and then just the uh, potty mix and just a little bit of peat moss. Yeah, exactly. All right, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Yep, and then uh, you know the broadleaf evergreens like to be fed so uh, with an acid-based fertilizer. So just make sure you do that. Kind of like hollytone. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Thanks a lot. I appreciate yeah. it. And then no fertilizer uh, after the 1st of June because it's too, you don't want to force any growth in the heat of the summertime. Let's go over to Rick's yard. Hi, Rick. Hi. Thank you for your service. Um, 
My question for you is I've got lava rock with in a front bed and the moss is growing all over it. And I need to get rid of that um, without getting rid of all the lava rock. Um, and, but I have good plants in there too. So what do I do? Uh, basically it's going to be a nightmare because you can get rid of it with like using a demos type thing, but it could cause some problems for the, you know, the root system of your plant material. You're better off just to kind of leave it alone. Yeah, it just looks bad. What about like vinegar or something like that? You could try that, but uh, you might you might erase it temporarily. But uh, the tem- the tempo and the situation is right for moss. So in another year or two, it's going to come back. So just realize that you're not going to eradicate it all at once and never see it again. So it's going to be an ongoing process. So I do have another ongoing process too. I have two dogs. Um, is there anything you do to fix the the spot? Um, where they've gone, where they urinated, and now it's gray and brown and whatever. Not really, because it's the dog urine has a high level of nitrogen. So actually, those spots are created by nitrogen burning the plant material, whatever they happen to go to urinate on, whether it's grass, whether it's you know a male dog lifting his leg on some kind of shrub or something like that. So there's not really too much you can do as far as uh, you know eradicating the situation, other than just going around and repairing each spot as time goes on. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's people used to say, well, it was because of the alkali, you know, the alkalinity of the urine, but no, that's not the case. It's because of the high level of nitrogen. So let's head up to Hazelwood and go into Patchard. Hi, Pat. Hi, Mike. Uh, thank you for your, for taking my call. Sure. Um, I have a couple of uh, tropicals here, and is it now finally time to put them out that they don't get? Uh, uh, too much sun at one time or something? Well, the sun is going to be problematic because the sun is getting more and more and more and more intense. So just watch out. Don't set them out in direct sun initially. And Brian Kelly, was. we were talking before we went on air, and he said it's going to, you know, he knew, you know what the temperature is going to be today, mid to upper 80s. And then he said there's a possibility of frost next week, but I wouldn't worry too much about the frost aspect. But just make sure the first couple of weeks, even if they're really sun tolerant, you know, tropical slash house plants, you don't set them directly in the, you know, in the sun where they're going to get sun for, you know, direct sun for more than like, you know, two or three hours, that would be something where they may even still sunburn. So initially put them in a part sun, part shade situation where they're getting filtered light through tree, you know, leaves and things along that line. And then ultimately you can move the real sun lovers out in the full sun, but that's after a couple of weeks. Yeah, I have the uh, two plumeria trees and they're just uh, trying to climb out the back door. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a, a tea plant that's... Uh, just uh, trying to come out of the pot, so I have to put it in a bigger pot. But that's, um, I just have had that for a year, and uh, it's already three feet. So it's it's just getting, the leaves are just beautiful. Sounds perfect. Now the next pot, the next size pot you're going to go for, don't put it in an extra large pot. Just make the pot like one inch bigger than what it is. And unless you really are seeing roots coming out of the drainage holes in the bottom of the pot, it's not necessary to put it into a larger pot. Oh, okay, because I I think maybe it just needs a little bit of uh, uh, dirt on top because it is coming out. It looks like it's coming out of the pot 
with the roots. Well, that's you know that's not too much of a concern to be honest with you. Oh, okay. So you're better off to leave you know tropical slash house plants pot bound. So in other words, in you know where you think, oh my gosh, it's been in there so long, or this or that, or so you know, as opposed to continually putting them in bigger pots. Because a lot of times that can be damaging, especially if you get a pot that's too much larger than the existing one. And then second of all, it just makes it so they start weighing a heck of a lot of, let's say, tonnage when you do move them outside. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've got them on those rollers that I can just drag them out. Well, perfect. Yeah, so that helps. Yeah, I, I wanted to say that... This spring is a spring that I haven't seen in a long time. I have flowers that came up that I planted years ago and hadn't seen for a couple of years. Right. I agree. This has been the most spectacular spring that I remember, you know, ever, you know, to be honest with you. I mean, the dogwoods yeah. are still in flower, and they started flowering over a month ago. It's just really absolutely striking. Now we got the dogwoods and we got the iris are out. The clematis are starting to bloom. So it's a rare circumstance for me, at least as far as my memory goes, when dogwoods were in flower and clematis were blooming at the same time. Yeah, that's what I've got on the uh, my front porch is a clematis on one side. And on the other side of the trellis is um, it's supposedly a miniature cosmos of I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it's per- very pretty and very fragrant. Little tiny white flowers. Wow, sounds spectacular. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you for your time. Certainly. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye. Yep. Thanks for calling. And uh, let's go to Gene, and he's in Murfreesboro, Illinois. Hi, Gene. Good morning, Mike. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I visited my local favorite local garden shop the other day, and I walked by a bag of caladiums, red leaf, pink leaf, just beautiful. And I've never raised them before, so I said, well, I'm going to try them. So I grabbed two bags. There's three bulbs in each bag. Mm-hmm. I, fi- I fixed up my bed with with compost, uh, tilted in deep, nice, and everything. I planted the bulbs three weeks ago, and I'm anxiously awaiting how long do i have to wait before the caladiums come up well it could be another couple of weeks but it's ground temperature is what triggers it and hopefully you put the caladiums in the shade right yes i did okay so and if the shade is created by trees then there's tree roots there competing with the caladiums a little bit so it's just a matter of patience you know it, it, I don't have much of that, Mike. <laughs> well, you should have bought them already sprouted in a pot. Then you could just <laughs> take them out of the pot and put them in the ground. Oh, <laughs> uh, I can't wait for them to come up. If they, if they look as good as the picture on the paper, it's going to be a beautiful garden. They are striking, I have to admit. But, uh, you know, the first first two or three sets of leaves are going to be pretty small. They're going to be undersized. So they're not going to jump out of the ground and be full-size foliage. Okay, fer- fertiliz- fertilizing. What, what do you recommend? Basically, as soon as you start to see the growth... Uh, base uh kind of erupting from the you know from the ground at, uh, coming up through the surface then just use an all-purpose fertilizer any kind of you know whatever you want to okay. use okay thank you so much for your service it's a great great 
two hours on Saturday morning. Well, thanks. I appreciate your comments. Yeah, and it's uh, I just don't stay loyal to any kind of fertilizer. I always change them around, and it's you know just so you don't necessarily need to over fertilize. Probably for the caladiums or any kind of summertime bulbs, whether it's cannas, elephant ears, caladiums, or whatever it happens to be, gladiola, gladiolas or dahlias. Uh, probably once every three or four weeks should be adequate. Okay, thank you very much, yep. Mike. And now let's go to Springfield, Illinois, and hi, Gloria. Good morning. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Very good. Okay. Uh, <coughs> two things. One, I heard somewhere that you're not supposed to fertilize herbs. Is that true? Yes. Really? Basically, okay. herbs like to have a very well-drained soil. They don't want to be overwatered, and fertilizing is minimized because if you over-fertilize them, what happens is you'll have nice, robust growth, but you're not going to have the smells. You're not going to have the taste. So for oh. people that don't like to you know, do a whole lot with plant material, herbs are by far the best because they want it dry, and they want it uh, you know, basically no fertilizer. Okay, that's great then. And the other question is, um, my sister asked me to ask you, uh, she has some moss growing around in her garden. Is it bad, and how to get rid of it? <laughs> Basically, it's not bad. Just leave it alone. I had a, that gentleman earlier with, he had the moss on the lava rock, and he wants to get rid of it. But the chemicals in your landscape, basically, you, you're not going to get rid of it, to be honest with you. You're so. Not. Just okay. embrace the moss. The Orientals have moss gardens, so just uh, wow. you know, reach down occasionally and pet you know, pet your moss like it was a you know, a dog. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I agree. This spring has been the most beautiful spring, and we actually are having spring as opposed to going from winter to summer. Yeah, exactly. I completely agree. Yeah. So we need to all get out and just sit in a chair and look at the sun. Right. All right. Thanks, Mike. Yep. Mike Miller, KMY's Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, and now let's go over to Dennis's yard. Hi, Dennis. Hi, Mike. How are you? Good. I have some China Girl Hollies that are just sort of a, a little bit yellow or not quite as deep green. Do they need fertilization? Yes, they do, but you got to have a fertilizer that has iron and sulfur in it. So, in other words, one for acid-loving plants. And don't expect so, them to turn green, dark green. You know, initially, it may take a couple years to get them back looking as well as they should. Okay, and so like the, the gentleman earlier mentioned the Holly Tone, that would be a good product for this? Certainly, you could do that. And, okay. uh, basically and I've you don't got boxwoods that yeah. are also got some browns on them as part of the leaves. Is uh, Would they need fertilization also? Now, what, what plant was this? The boxwoods? Uh, uh, no, that's probably weather-related is you know, more so than anything else. And as far as the broadleaf evergreens, whether it be holly or boxwood or azaleas or anything else, uh, May is the last month you, you should be fertilizing. Once you get past that, no fertilizing in, really until next year. Okay. All right. Thanks for the information. Yep. With all the broadleaf evergreens, you know, whether they start flowering or they start pushing out new growth, that's the time when you start fertilizing and then fertilize once a month all the way up, like I said, until May. And then no, they, you should not fertilize them going into wintertime. So thanks, Dennis. Thank you. Bye-bye. And now let's go to Mary's yard, and she lives in Overland. Hi, Mary. Hi there, Mike. Yes. Good morning. I have two questions. The first one is, have you or any of your listening audience 
seen any hummingbirds yet. I'm kind of concerned that maybe they missed my house or something. <laughs> yeah, I think they said uh, we don't want to go around Overland because the airport's too close. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I haven't seen any, and I haven't heard anybody seen, you know, have seen any either. So I think it just might be, you know, the whole cycle might be off as far as timing goes. Oh, perfect. Okay, that makes me feel better. And number two, I uh, winterized in the basement under grow lights to Bird of Paradise. And they did great, except, you know, how there's, it's like a fan-like base right at the soil. And then it has the the long rod-like. Yeah, the stalks uh, for the leaves. Right. And the ones that aren't coming back, do I just cut them down at the fan level? Yeah, exactly. Because if they haven't, you know, if they're not pushing out any kind of growth, they're probably, you know, dysfunctional. You don't have to necessarily do it right now or as soon as you put, if you're putting them outside or whatever, or you're leaving them inside, you can no, wait I'm for another. No, i put them outside. Like, I've had them outside for the last two weeks underneath the, oh, the okay. porch. So Great. I think I'm ready to to do that. I just was hoping to be able to get rid of some of those canes that aren't doing anything productive. As, you know, absolutely. Go ahead and cut them out. Perfect. Thanks again. Your show's wonderful. Well, thank you. And now let's see, where should we go? Let's go over to Ted's yard. Hi, Ted. Hey, Mike. How are you this morning? Very good. Um, I heard a couple calls back. You said that the clematis are already starting to bloom. Yes. And I just was at Sam's and bought a couple clematis plants. Is it too late to plant those now? Oh, no. You still got all the way through the whole month of May to get things planted. You can really plant, you know, through the entire summertime. It's just once the temperatures go up and everything else, it just takes more work and more blah blah watering and everything else. But yeah, the okay. clematis. I mean, the blue ones. It, it's like I mean, they're full size flowers and everything else. I don't ever remember them blooming quite this early. So no, it's not too late at all. Great, I'm looking forward to it. Um, also, we have some boxwoods that I've probably had in for maybe five or six years, and they just don't seem to get taller. I don't know if I've got a uh, a hybrid or something that kept them short, or if they've been stunted in pots or something. But what can what can I use or what can I do to try to get those to take off and and get some height? Uh, how tall are they? Uh, they're probably about maybe a foot and a half. Oh, so they're really small. So they really right. haven't grown at all since you put them in? Well, you can see, like like right now, you can see a little bit of new green growth on them, but they just don't seem to get height. They kind of spread out. Uh, it could be variety-wise. Generally, that's not the case. Usually, they're going to be about as t- you know high as they are wide. So right, right. and right now they should have really elongated new you know new growth on them. So maybe when they were installed or planted, they were planted a little bit too deep, and it might be a little bit too you know the wetness may be the limiting factor. So in other words, almost making them like a bonsai, and that's why they're not getting all that much bigger. So okay. take a look at it. Make sure that you know the next time it rains or you water whatever, there's not any kind of water sitting close to them. And if so, then, like I've been saying, any of the broadleaf evergreens want a fertilizer for acid-loving plants. So you can, and this year you can fertilize right now, this month, and go ahead in the future, as soon as you start to see new growth, 
which, you know, or the flowering on the boxwood. You can start fertilizing and then fertilize once a month all the way up until, you know, the end of May. Okay, and, and what was the fertilizer? Any uh, acid-based fertilizer. So, in other words, it'll save, like, there's mere acid, there's Peter's Acid Lovers, there's a holly tone, and there's all kinds of different ones. So just go to your favorite garden center and tell them you want a fertilizer that has, you know, sulfur and iron in it. That's the two major elements that are different. Okay, great. I appreciate it, and I appreciate your show. Well, thanks. Thank you. Have a good day. <laughs> And now let's go to Collinsville and see what's going on with Gary. Hi, Gary. Thank you. Hey, Gary. Yes. Go uh, ahead. Thank you. I was distracted. Yeah, you're uh, playing with your dog. Exactly. Getting <laughs> uh, out here, it's a beautiful morning. Anyway, uh, I've got a Canadian choke cherry, and uh, the lower branches on it are getting so heavy now, and they're laying down. And I was wanting to know if I could trim the trunk to get them uh, out of the way so I could mow underneath them. And then uh, I had the same thing with my dogwood. It's uh, got a lot of lower branches now that it's getting full leaves. It's really, they're, you know, getting in the way of trying to cut around it. It's, is this now a good time to prune or what? You just have to watch out by pruning this time of year once we get, you know, especially plants like that, that, uh, you know, there's so many bacterias and fungus problems floating around in the air. You make a new cut and it could cause problems from that standpoint. But if you can get it done as soon as possible, then you're probably okay. If they're long branches, just cut them off in one third sections so it doesn't tear the bark or anything and make the final cut just leaving a stub of about a quarter inch. Okay, I got uh, on this uh, Canadian choke cherry. I was looking at it on the internet or whatever, and uh, it's bloomed out every year real nice, and the same here this year. But I've never seen cherries on it. Now this is the second year in the ground, second spring in the ground. Now that's the only. I mean, everything I've, I've seen on the web, it, it looks like it's a choke cherry. I mean, but I haven't seen the berries. Is the, now is this something different or what? It could be, but also it may be just maturity factor. It may have the energy to produce the flowers, but not the energy to produce the fruits. So a lot okay. of things you have to just, you know, you have to wait. So it's just, you know, it's a question of just uh, that's the way it is, for, you know, for certain plant materials. Okay, that's yeah, this is only the second spring that's been in the ground. But yeah, so you may have, years. yeah, you might have, you know, a couple more years to wait before you're going to get any fruit production. Okay. Uh, now, uh, on my dogwood, uh, it's, last year it bloomed real nice. I mean, it had nice flowers on it. Uh, this year, like it did, came out with uh, uh, buds real early, and then we had that frost, and uh, kind of then it. Took a long while for actually leaf out, and uh, now that's leafing out good, but I don't see any blooms on it. You think I'm going to get any blooms on it this year? No, you're not. If it hasn't, it's too late now. For the you know, if the buds have not formed, you're not going to get any flowers off of it this year whatsoever. Okay, that's probably what I was thinking. Then. All right, thank you. That's uh, pretty well what I wanted to know, and thank you for your show. Great, thanks. And uh, Mike Miller, KMWAX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, and we're headed to Steve's yard. It looks like he lives in Illinois. Hi, Steve. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a Japanese maple, 
and I have one of the bigger roots is coming to the top of the ground. Mm-hmm. If a person would cut that off, would that end up hurting that tree? It certainly could. So you just got to base. If you don't like looking at the roots, then just put some mulch on it or, you know, cover, you know, have a ground cover, cover them up. But, yeah, cutting surface roots is not something that's really advisable. Okay. I was just wondering about that. Yeah. And then I also have an azalea that it's just got very few leaves on it. Is that normal, or shouldn't they be blooming pretty good right now? They should be in full bloom. Azaleas are extremely difficult to grow here, so it sounds like what you're ha- experiencing is what the majority of people that have azaleas do, and it gets to the point where you finally just go, I'm sick of looking at this thing. It's never bloomed really well. It's always really sparse as far as foliage goes, and you just get rid of it. Okay. That's what I was wanting to find out. Right. Thank you very much. Certainly. Yeah, I mean, there are some really striking azaleas in the metropolitan area, but, boy, the the tens and thousands of them that have been bought that never made it (laughs) aesthetically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Yep, and now let's go over to Dave's yard. Hi, Dave. Hey, Mike, how you doing today? Good. Hey, I have about 400 tulips. Uh, They're dug out. They're sturdy plants with real strong leaves. I know September is the best time to put them back in the ground maybe what do i need to lay these out and let them keep getting sun or get them in the ground and let them get sun or just cut the leaves off now now did you dig them up no sir there's a place by my house that has giant beds of them and they dig them up and then put the next wave of stuff in and they let the public come and get them yeah i would say if they're up out of the ground there's no reason to replant them because they're not going to get root system established enough to actually do anything the foliage is probably discoloring right now so I would just go ahead and cut the foliage off and then store the you know the bulbs in with layers of newspaper in paper bags. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you for not uh, having me replant them. <laughs> that would be a lot of work and it wouldn't help one thing. <laughs> I appreciate it so much. Thank you. Sure. <laughs> All right, bye. Yep. And now let's head to Crestwood and see what's going on with Mary. Hi Mary. Uh, hi, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, we have a Jack, Japanese black pine, and we've had it for about three years. But this year, the leaves, the needles are kind of brown. There is green on it, but the, it's got a lot of candles that came out. So do we need to fertilize that or water it more? Or? Well, the candles indicate that it's well-established and it's pushing out new growth. Those will push right, out new needles. that's what I thought. But, boy, the needles are I mean, like 80% is, or 50% is green, and 50% is the brown needles. Well, the brown needles are just the older ones. I mean, that's just kind of how it's going to be happening every year. And the Japanese black pine is not necessarily the best pine to be growing in this region. So if you're getting elongated candles and you've still got a lot of green needles, then everything is as good as it possibly can be. Should we leave those candles on there? Yeah, that's next. That's new growth. That's new needles. Okay, should we fertilize it? Uh, not this time of year. Any of the conifers okay. you fertilize, let's say around probably in, oh, sometime between Halloween and Thanksgiving, and then another time, you know, let's say during the winter, and then one one more time around Valentine's Day. Okay, uh, thank you so much. Sure. 
Yeah, the conifers really like to be fed when they're, you know, things have really shut down. Let's see if we can get one in really quickly. Carol, can you do it fast? Hello? Hi. Hi. Oh, Mike. Hi. Um, Mike, I just called in to tell you that I've had hummingbirds for at least two weeks, maybe three. I just made my third batch of hummingbird food. So I would encourage everybody to put a feeder out. I don't know if they're passing through. You have to watch. They're not there all day long. Right. I see them, you well, know. Well, great. Well, thanks. You're the first person that I know that has, you know, seen any hummingbirds. So it looks like Waterloo well, is one of their major stops on the way north. Well, my daughter told me about it. She lives closer to the river, but on the same um, close to us. And I don't know if they follow that river up. I'm, sometimes I wonder because she sees them before I do. Ah. But she always warns me. And, um, <laughs> but, <laughs> so we get going, you know. But but I have found that the downy woodpeckers keep going after that feeder. So I put a second one out so that the hummers can always get a drink, too. But I thought I ought to let you know because and the listeners because uh, it probably is time for them to put a feeder out. Right. That's uh, that's good because we had a caller earlier, maybe you heard, where she hadn't seen right. him yet. And so I, I have not myself. So thanks for, the, for right. the report. Sure. Okay. Have a good day. Yep. You do the same thing. It looks like we're not going to get to any other callers this hour. So John, Joan, Ken, and, and Marion. Uh, just hold on. We'll t- get to you after the news. So uh, this time of year, just take some time and just enjoy some of the things that are so striking, so spectacular. Like I said, I've never remembered dogwoods blooming for like f- it's been five weeks. And I mean, full f- the, the, the the trees that I'm seeing and I see a lot of different trees in various neighborhoods and everything else. Not even the, the none of the petals are even starting to fall yet, so it's just kind of very striking, very spectacular. And we were Tracy and I were out the other day, and the sunlight was sh- shooting down on a Japanese maple, and sh- she w- was in awe of it because of the maroon colored foliage. So, I mean, there are certain things that are just unbelievable. And this year, as far as the bulbs go, that w- has been something that. I am very, you know, amazed by. So just take it easy. And if you have any other questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. See you after the news. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. (laughs) Yes, folks, welcome. And thanks for coming to the Garden Hotline Tip of the Trial Hour. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments, Alex answers the phone, just needs your first name and where you're calling from. And Mr. Kelly, before you take off, uh, we had a call from Carol in Waterloo. Mm-hmm. She, she'd seen some hummingbirds and yes. you. Yes. I think our, I think it was Tuesday. I think it was. When uh, Sue and I were outside and we just saw it like flash by. It's like, hummingbird, first one. All right. So one in, got into the she shed and took out the uh, the feeders and put them out. We've got two. Uh, we got at least three that wow, I've seen. Yeah. Great. So it's a great time of year. When they so, come and we got an email after that call. Somebody in Sunset Hills emailed and said, we have hummingbirds, too. So they're back. I haven't seen any at all yet. So maybe really? they're just staying out of the city. 
Could be. Maybe could be. Yeah. six feet back. <laughs> they, they don't social distance very well. No, they no, don't. No, they, they cross paths quite often. So, uh, yep, they're back. Well, great. Sounds perfect. And, folks, thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection, caring for, ups and downs, and all rounds of annuals. Uh, pansies are still looking pretty good, but expect them to start going downhill pretty, you know, pretty soon. And then that means it's time for the summertime annuals and your bulbs, your daffodils and tulips. I've seen some tulips still blooming, but, uh, they're headed downhill too. And now it's time for the summer bulbs, which are the elephant ears, the caladiums, the cannas, all those dahlias, all those type things. And, uh, ground covers, your edibles, house plants. Lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is certainly not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to consider. And across the big board is Alex. He answers the phone. He's producing. And so first name and where you're calling from is all he needs. He doesn't need to know anything related to your questions or anything else. And during the weekend, weekends, I spend my time going to people's homes, which I call a walk and talk. If you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, you can go to MikeMillerDesigns.com on the home page. That's where my email address and phone number are listed. And you can contact me and we can schedule one. Today, at Webster Groves and then down to Arnold for a walk and talk. So it should be fun. Tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me. And it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the trial goes out to everybody. I mean, there's a lot of people in our neighborhood, and I'm sure in all neighborhoods, that are out walking. But uh, the respect people have for each other. If somebody's walking towards you, a lot of times, if as long as there's not traffic in the roads or anything, they'll step around and walk into the street. I do the very same thing. So the fact that we're doing this, we've been sort of like, it's like... <laughs> I don't want to say training dogs, but we're not really used to doing something completely different that all of us have really gotten used to. So a tip of the trial goes out to everybody as we deal with this crazy world and we still don't have any kind of focused direction to try to get this thing, you know, accomplished, fixed or whatever it needs to happen. But I hope we can get it real soon. I know there's I saw the other day uh, Macy's is going to open 68 stores uh, they've got a lot more stores than that, but stores are going to start opening, and I don't know how that's going to work. I mean, when you go to Walgreens, you just kind of stay away from people or blah, 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 and you, st- you know, st- and when you're in line, you stay back. But uh, it's just going to be totally crazy. So just stay cool, stay calm. And uh, Alex and I were talking during one of the breaks, and uh, both of us miss going to restaurants and just sitting and relaxing and taking it easy you know, and having a meal and uh, the takeouts and stuff like that. That's great. But it's just not quite the same as, you know, sitting and relaxing and having, you know, a, you know, whatever. But uh, so all of us, we're, we're going to make it through this thing. But uh, just remember, outdoors is perfect, you know, in your own yard, everything else. And uh, just uh, stay calm, cool and collected. So. Let's take a couple calls before we take a break. Let's go to John and Baldwin. Hi, John. Good morning, Mike. Hi. How you doing? Beautiful day. Yes. Hey, Mike, I'll be quick. That gentleman last hour with the uh, yellow grass from the dog. Yes. There's a product called Grass Saver that uh, comes in pill or a treat form 
that breaks up the enzymes that helps uh, prevent that. Okay, great. So what, was, get, what was the name of it again? Grass, Grass Saver. Grass Saver. Perfect. You can find it at Pet Supplies Plus. I'll put a push in for them. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my wife has uh, one question. She's going to put a lemon tree that's in a five-gallon pot out on a deck. Is there anything she, she needs to do? Uh, just make sure that, uh, you know, stabilized five-gallon pot's pretty heavy, so unless it's huge, it's not going to get blown over because we are having some gusty winds. I don't know if there's yeah. any predicted for, you know, but beyond, just watch out if it's been inside that if she puts it out and then it's in direct sun, it could get sunburned on some of the leaves. I got it. Now, maybe you can help me. I have a, a two-and-a-half, three-foot in diameter, like a sinkhole at the end of our yard. It downgrades a bit. I put... 10 40-pound uh, bags of soil in there, some cement. Keep sinking. What can I do? Wow. I would say uh, call MSD or somebody, see if there's some kind of broken line or something. Why would it keep sinking like that? You know, that's I, just... I agree with you. I think I'll go that route. Yeah. Hey, Mike, I appreciate it. I'll get off the air for someone else. Okay, great. Well, thanks. Thank you. Yeah, and the lemon trees or anything else, anybody that's putting you know, any kind of plants that have been inside under grow lights or even next to really bright windows... Direct sun can really sunburn them pretty easily, so just be careful. And now let's go to Joan, and she's in South City. Hi, Joan. Hi, how are you? Good. Um, I have my front lawn faces south. I killed it about 20 years ago. It was zoysia, and I put fescue down. And over the last four or five years, the zoysia has crept back in. Excuse me. And it's taken over about a fourth of the yard. The rest of it is nothing but weeds and Bermuda and clover. So I've <laughs> killed all that off. But it does, it's in the shade in the really hot afternoon sun, but it's in sun in the morning and late afternoon. Should I put fescue down or should I just? Give up and put zoysia down. I would say give up and put zoysia down. If you had successful zoysia that you got rid of because you didn't like it or whatever, I would say yeah. go back and, you know, and you've got a big successful patch of it right now. So I would right. say, you know, with lawns, every lawn should be, you know, always normally core aerated, dethashed and all that other stuff. But especially the cool season lawns, the summertime is absolutely brutal for them. So whether it's fescue or bluegrass, it's very, very tough. In the wintertime, we know the zoysia just turns tan, so it goes completely underground, basically. Where the bluegrasses and fescues, they stay green regardless of the weather, and that's where the sort of the downside of the cool season lawns are. Okay, so I've killed it, and I'm going to till it all up, and then should I put something down, like the compost or yeah, something? Yeah, add, add an inch or so of compost Work it into the existing soil. Okay. And then, and then put my get sod plugs. down. Yeah, either get plugs or, you know, sod. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. Certainly. My pleasure. And right. let's go to Marion. And Marion, how are you today? Good morning, Mike. Hi. Thank you for taking my, your call. My call. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question about um, crepe myrtle. What about the dead canes? Do, do we... T- Trim those off. Um, I'm not, I've, I've always questioned, every spring I question the crepe myrtle. They're little tiny growth at the bottom. So, so none of the above ground growth has ever leaves out? 
Because a lot of times it looks dead, but it's not dead. It's just, you know, a matter of time before it's starting to leaf out. But if you wait until, let's say, the 1st of June, you don't see any kind of foliage or anything coming off the canes, certainly you can cut and remove those. Okay. I'm I'm always questioned that. Every year it just seems like they look dead for the longest time. Right, they do. They're, I mean, they need the, really the warm weather to trigger the growth. And until the soil gets really warm, they're just going to stay hunkered down. All right. Thank you. Then I have one other quick question um, about evergreens. I noticed uh, some kind of growth in the evergreen. Um, it's not a gall, but it's sort of a dull orangey color, and it looks spongy. I've never seen that b- before. This I is don't... on a juniper, and that's called cedar apple rust, and it is a type of gall. And what it, it is... is... It's a disease that goes back and forth between apples, crab apples, anybody that's related to the apple family, and it affects the junipers that are historically, their let's say their ancestry goes back in the United States or in North America versus the ones from Japan. But it's called uh-huh. cedar apple rust. So, so should that be removed then? Yeah, cut those things off. But that doesn't mean you're not going to get some in the future. It'll be sort of a constant thing. I'll be darned. I, I have have not had those previously. Yeah, so, you know, why, you know, who knows why, you, you know, it happens never, and then all of a sudden it starts happening. So you may not ever get it again, but somebody near you or you have uh, crab apples, you know, any yes. service berries, something like that, and that's where the disease. And now on those plants, what it does is really cause the foliage to really look horrible. It oh. puts spots all oh. over the foliage on the crab apples and apple trees and service berries and things like that. So the sooner it's removed, the better. Yes. Very good. Mike, thanks for your help today. I appreciate it very much. Sure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Back to the phones we go, and we're headed over to Ken's yard. Hi, Ken. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Hey, hummingbirds have been in St. Genevieve County for two weeks now. Really? Yeah, they they got in. They got in about two weeks ago. Well, that's great. I just great. got three uh, feeders hung yesterday. Well, that sounds perfect. So you're going to have a lot of visitors. Yeah, they took them uh, about ten minutes to find it. <laughs> My cats are just. Uh, <laughs> Really enjoyed themselves. Well, obviously you had a history of feeding them, so they decided to hang around. <laughs> well, this is my first year really? here, and uh, I moved up from Athens, Georgia, and uh, I'm enjoying life in rural St. Genevieve County. Sounds perfect. Hey, uh, my yard is forest floor, and I've got dogwoods and redbuds, you know, scattered around. I have one dogwood tree that only has three or four blooms on it. It's about 10 foot tall, real sparse branches. Is there anything I could do that to make him all he could be for next year? No. To be honest with you, if it's 10 feet tall and you're getting that kind of sparse growth, with it's just not a very strong tree. So though you see some that are just massively covered with blooms and everything else, if it's it's just a weak tree, it's probably been weak all its life. Well, shucks. Okay. 
That's what I needed to know. <laughs> yeah, I hate to be hey, truthful. Mike, you have a beautiful day. Well, you do the very same thing. Now let's head over to David's yard. Hi, David. Yeah, hi, Mike. Hi. Um, I I thought I uh, or I'd like to offer a solution to anybody that's fighting the violets in a lawn mm-hmm. in a cool season lawn. I've got a fescue lawn. I've got about three quarters of an acre. And I tried everything for over the years, you know, Roundup and the generic Roundups and all that, which which really doesn't do much to, for, for violets. I think they're the toughest. But um, I finally landed on an agricultural product that's specific to violets, and it'll control clover, and it suppresses Bermuda grass also. And it's a, a high-yield brand product. And I'll I'll probably need to spell this, but it's Tricloper Ester, and that would be T R I C L O P Y R Ester, which is capital E S T E R. About a year ago, I had a really uh, bad infestation of the, uh, you know, the lawn violets. I'll call them. Mm-hmm. Um, I started, uh, you know, I applied it maybe last May. And then I stayed with it. I, I put it on maybe every six weeks, you know, tanks where I just walk around the yard and, right. and hit them individually. And uh, it doesn't harm the grass. And so far this year, I haven't seen a violet in this yard. Well, that's perfect. Now, usually the yeah. esters are not available to, you know, homeowners unless they have a pesticide license. So I, I don't know. I can get. I can give you the website where I buy it. Okay, no, you don't need to. But uh, if you know, yeah. just people, esters are you know, they're very, very useful, very powerful. Uh, you know, the industry in general, the lawn industry, and everybody else has access to it. So if anybody besides obviously you too, just be careful when you use them. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not drinking it, but you know. <laughs> at any rate, it, it, I wouldn't think so. It, Right. It, uh, it. I mean, it's incredibly effective. I mean, really, this year, which is a great year to grow fescue, obviously, I've right. got the thickest yard lawn I've ever had, but I've been working at it for about three years. But I, I, I barely have, you know, the only places where I've had a little bit is, is that it's coming from the neighbor's yard. Right. So I just kind of do a little extra spray into his yard to try to control <laughs> it over there. <laughs> at any rate. Well, great. Well, thanks, that's David. What I got. Okay, thanks. Yep. Let's go now to Jim, and he's in South County. Hi, Jim. Hello. Hi. Hi, Mike. Uh, I have a concrete uh, foundation wall on the south side of the house and a flower bed in front of it. Uh, What kind of uh, annual plants can I plant there to take care of uh, the sun, the hot heat from that area? Do you want annuals? Yes. So then you're probably looking at, you know, marigolds and, you know, anything that's kind of the sunflowerish look would be certainly tough as well as there's some annual periwinkle that can handle that too. So it's not an impossible spot. Okay. Uh, how about how, how about if I wanted to put in uh, perennials? Yeah, uh, then you then probably look at, uh, you know, Coreopsis moonbeam. Again, going back to the sunflower group, uh Black-eyed Susans, purple comb flowers, 
those are, you know, they still, I've got some that are already well budded, so they're going to start blooming within the next week or so, and then they'll bloom all the way up until uh, probably Halloween. Oh, good. Uh, how about uh, 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 those knockout roses? Would they ever last there? Uh, knockout roses, I mean, they should. They get really big and wide, so I don't know how wide this space is. Uh, it's it's a big space, uh, width-wise. Depth, it's only about two feet. Yeah, t- two feet is not very wide. So there's two feet from, let's say, where the lawn is and the foundation is? Yes. Yeah, that knockout roses don't try in there. They get too big. Oh, okay. Thank you very much, yep. Mike. So, so, again, and if you want to have something that's really low care, you can do some of the varieties of sedum, like sedum palace purple or, you know, sedum dragon's blood or, you know, sedum along those lines. The sedums are very low care. They need no water, basically no fertilizer, and there's a couple different types of sedums you can look at. Okay. Thank you very much. Yep. Bye. And now let's, where should we head? Let's go to Chesterfield in the Karen's yard. Hi, Karen. Hi. Hi. Um, I have a question about my boxwoods. I actually just discovered it today, and I think they have leaf miners. They're about nine years old, and there are all these tiny little flies all over them, everywhere. Well, leaf miners actually tunnel in the leaves. Yeah, but then it says that there are larvae, the flies come out like at the beginning of May. Yeah, but I, you know, you may have them. You could just go out there. Uh, my guess is it's just gnats. I don't know if it is or not. It may be, but generally boxwood are not prone to leaf miner problems. Okay, I read that that was their main um, pest. No. But uh, what would the, would you recommend spraying anything on them? If you could, but, you know, any kind of insecticide, just use, like, you know, neem oil or some organic type, you know, pest insecticide. You just have to spray it on the actual insects. And with your boxwood, uh-huh. you probably want to get, you know, kind of stir them up a little bit. So, uh-huh. and then you sort of spray you know, just overall in general. What about seven? Uh, that's fine. Okay. Thank you so much. Certainly. Yeah, I don't uh-huh. think uh, you're going to, you know, that's going to be what uh, leaf miners, I've, you know, I've seen boxwood for years and I don't know if about uh any kind of uh, leaf miner problems on boxwood, even if you saw it on the Internet or whatever. But Mike oh. Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, we're headed to Clayton's yard. Hi, Clayton. Hey, hi. How you doing? Very good. Hey, I got a dumb question for you. I'm thinking about planting an eight-foot jap maple, and uh, some of the old-timers around my neighborhood that I talk to say hey, you shouldn't plant a tree in any month that doesn't have an R in it. I was wondering if there was any truth to that. Basically, I guess it is in a way, but uh, all it does is take care. Just make sure when you plant it, three times the diameter of the root ball, that's how hot, wide the hole should be but only 80% is deep. So, in other words, the top of the root ball is above the surrounding ground. So you can get it done today, this month, or whatever. Okay. Uh, now, do those handle direct sun very well? Yeah, I mean, it depends upon the variety. Are you talking about the one that looks like an umbrella, or are you talking about the one that looks like a regular kind of understory ornamental tree? Uh, the one that looks like an umbrella. It's the blood good. Yeah, so... 
it, they may sunburn a little bit, but uh, usually they they're pretty tough, pretty durable. They could should be able to handle it. They would prefer okay. probably being not in the direct sun all day long every day. If that's the case, I would be somewhat cautious because it'll be fine. Let's say through May, June, and July, and then the tips of the you know the leaves are going to start turning brown, and so then they're going to be brown August, September, and October. Yeah. Okay, thanks a lot. Certainly. And now let's go out to O'Fallon, Missouri, and see what's going on with Elizabeth. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, Mike. Thank you so much for your show. Um, I just have a quick question on a hydrangea. I would like to plant one on the north side of my house. It gets maybe only about an hour of morning light. Um, I've got two other towards the front that get a little more sunlight, but I'd like to plant one back that would get mostly shade, a little indirect sunlight. Would you recommend that? Uh, You could do it. Uh, I would say if I was going to plant in that area, I'd plant the oak leaf hydrangea. Okay. Um, What about the, um, I think it's called a limelight. It's more, it can get taller, like eight foot tall if you let it go. Um, Pant, pant. Panicula or something like that. Yeah. Um, I I have to give a shout out to also to Missouri Botanical Gardens website and their plant finder. It's been great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could the limelight. Uh, that might not be enough light for it. And but the oak leaf hydrangea can get you know that tall, if not you know even taller than that. Okay. Okay, great. Thank you so much for your program. Sure, thank you. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I'm not you know trying to discourage you, but the limelight needs a little bit more light than. You know, kind of low light for one hour. It may do fine, but uh, my guess is may not. Let's go down to DeSoto and into Paul's yard. Hi, Paul. Hey, Mike. Um, thanks for taking my call, and, and thanks for hosting my show. My pleasure. Uh, the um, the hummingbird situation, they arrive in this region of the country the first half of April. Ah. If you have a hummingbird feeder out prior to their arrival, You'll probably see them the day that they're in your area. This year, they came a little late for me. Uh, the first one arrived on the 20th, but they usually arrive, like I said, the first two weeks. By the end of the season, I'll have as many as a 1,000 hummingbirds in my place, and I'll go through 10 pounds of sugar a week. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, it's um, they're very interesting to watch. Yes. They eat every 10 minutes or so. So right <laughs> now I've calculated I'll have as many as uh, four birds at one time. That's uh, it's starting to increase, and um, they uh, uh, if you multiply that times ten, I have roughly forty birds right now. Wow. They're almost all male. In fact, they are all male because the males arrive before the females, ah. usually a couple of weeks, and they will also depart a couple of weeks before the females. Well, great. Well, thanks for the insight. Just wanted to let you know they're here, and if you have your feeders out just before they arrive. Uh, then you're going to get the birds. And they, they arrived slightly late this year, and I think it was because it was so stormy and cool right. earlier in the spring. And some really strong winds, too, for sure. That, too. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, thanks. You're welcome. Yeah, and along with the hummingbirds, too, uh, monarch butterflies, they should be starting to show up pretty soon, too, in another week or two, maybe towards Memorial Day. It's all going to be weather-dependent. Let's go now to Jeff's yard. Hi, Jeff. Hello, Mike. I wanted to welcome you to my show. I appreciate you being here. One of my listeners, namely me, uh, two years ago had a beautiful front yard of zoysia cut 
like a putting green or at least a fairway on a country club. And I made a maintenance and fertilizing error and killed two-thirds of it. Mm. What I would like to do is get a row of sod put in, as soon as possible, put it along the walkways, the driveways, and along the street in front of the house to make basically a circle of sod and figuring that it's not going to spread past concrete, so it can only go in the opposite direction and hopefully fill up the yard. My question to you is what would spread and grow faster, zoysia or Bermuda? And are you familiar with any of the costs between the two? Uh, not familiar with the costs. I don't even know who sells Bermuda, to be honest with you. So that you know, finding it could be a little bit difficult. But also remember that you know, your idea sounds right or nice, but uh, basically any of the uh, zoysia that's along any kind of, let's say, hardscape, which really heats up in the summertime, it's going to have a, it's going to sort of burn back from you know that space. So that's not necessarily going to encourage it to grow in one direction. So it's not, you know, I mean, your whole idea sounds good, but I don't know. I would say my temp, you know, my temptation would be you could certainly do the perimeter like you're talking about, but I'd start off, and my tendency would be to plant in the center and then let it go out in all directions rather than trying to force it to go one way. Well, that makes sense as well. Would you? Would you? Would you go sod or plugs? Uh, Is there any? Plugs are painfully slow. I mean, there's little, and if you put them six inches apart, it's still going to take about three plus years for them to fill in. So it just depends upon how you know how much time you have and how much you want to wait. So six inches apart, plugs like you know three years to be a full, let's say, zoysia lawn. But if I could get a hold of Bermuda, would that does that grow faster, or does it grow about the same as? Yeah, this is probably you know it's a warm season grass, so it's going to still have you know the slow tendency right at first and everything else. Just make sure you prepare your soil, get some compost in the ground before you put any kind of sod down. But uh, to well, be honest yeah, with you, so that was all yeah, I automatic. don't I don't know where you're going to be able to find Bermuda. Mm. Okay, well I appreciate. Uh, I appreciate your, your comments and your opinions, and thanks again for being on my show, and sure. hope to hear from you soon. <laughs> you know, my pleasure. Yeah, I mean, you could go in online and just look at you know, local some of the local sod farms and see if they have any Bermuda, but, uh, boy, that's you know somewhat of an iffy type thing. Thanks, Jeff, and now let's go over to Greg's yard. Hi, Greg. Hey, good morning. Yes. Hello? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I've got a an area. It's maybe 20 feet long and, I don't know, maybe 10 feet, kind of like a semicircle. It's all pretty much shaded and just tough to get something to grow. So I'm looking to get probably two evergreen-type things. I want to so I could see it during the winter. Um, I'm planning on getting, like, two or three little coral bells just kind of like put in the center. But at the end, I want just a couple of like, so it might get the size of maybe a beach ball. And thought of maybe variegated boxwoods and just keep them around. Um, is there anything else that really kind of might have some color in an evergreen that grows well in a mostly shaded area? Well, first of all, you know, variegated boxwood is not going to be hardy. All we have to do is have one really cold day and it's gone. 
Really? Yeah, okay. so they don't do well here at all. you got to live further <laughs> south for those. But t- there's several different varieties of euonymus that are, you know, shrub types. Now, as they get older, once they get past 10 to 15 years, the variegation can leave them, and then the new growth will all be, let's say, dark, just dark green. So that would be, you know, something to consider or an option that way. Okay. On the, what, which euonymus uh, um, are you kind of looking at? Uh, there's several different types. I've of, got a couple moon shadows in an area that's more in front that has some sun. Those are that's doing okay. Yeah, but they kind of stay low. But if there's anything, they kind of get rounded. Um, well, they're pretty easy to prune. So I mean, there's several different varieties out there. It just depends upon what your favorite garden center is going to have. So just go to Missouri Botanical Garden Mobot dot org and then mm-hmm. see which see which varieties they're going to be recommending. Of a unanimous. Yeah, E-U-O-N-Y-M-U-S. Okay, and they do get, like I said, the moon shadow, they, they say those are like low-growing, but some others are bigger and can, or can get rounded. Right. Okay, good. All right, I'll suggest that. Thank you. Yep. I mean, uh-huh. there's, thanks, Greg. Yeah, there's some great unanimous shrubs in my neighborhood that people, I mean, they do need pruning, but... Uh, it's not all that much. Mike Miller, KMR's Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, let's head to Shelly's yard, and she lives in South St. Louis. Hi, Shelly. Hi, Mike. I have a spot in my front yard, a southern exposure, and I've been trying to decide between a surface berry and a white red bud um or any other suggestions well the service berry is you know the white red bud is uh you know it's okay but the service berry is going to give you more multi-season appeal it's going to give you the spring right. flowers it's going to give you the fruits and then it's going to give you good fall color where the red, the white red bud or red buds just in general, they give you the spring color. There's no getting around it. But after that, other than the sort of the pea pods hanging down, they don't do much. They don't give any kind of fall color or anything else. So that's, you know, so the service berry would be my, you know, my choice. And make sure that if you want a tree one that you, you get the Amelanchier arborea, A-R-B-O-R-E-A. That means tree as opposed to the, you know, the shrub type Amelanchier service berry. And now let's go to uh, Laura. Hi, Laura. Hi, Mike. How are you? Good. Okay. Uh, some time ago you talked about trees that face an easterly direction and it gets cool, and then the sun comes up, and it warms up the bark, and it can split the bark. Well, I've had that happen with a flowering cherry. The bark has split and started to peel. It's not peeling off, but it's like sort of peeling back. Is there something I can get to wrap around that, or is there any remedy for this situation? Now, is this a new tree? No, it's it's about 10 years old. I would say then that probably it's not related to the sun at all. It's probably related to the diameter of the trunk increasing, and that's what's causing the split. Okay. So is that normal for a flowering cherry? Well, usually they're not going to have a split per se, 
But uh, I, there's not really too much you can do. A tree of that age is not, you know, whatever you do is not going to make that much difference. If you if you really feel like you don't want to see it, what you can do is get some of the black corrugated, you know, pipe and just split it and then open it up and then put it around the trunk. But I, I don't I don't know how big the trunk of the tree is. So, okay, it's not really huge. Me, I don't even know if it's like six inches, but that's really a good idea. But since that uh, trunk is split. Is it susceptible to infestation? No, not necessarily. Okay, so maybe just leave it alone. Yeah, that would be the thing. Okay. <laughs> That's All what right. I would do. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. Sure. And Hi. now let's head into South County and go into Gary's yard. Hi, Gary. How you doing, Mike? Very good. Glad to have you on the show. Or glad to have visit you this morning. I have two rosemary bushes that I had since last fall, and I put them in the house and just babied them all through, and they ended up dying this spring on me. Ooh. And they were, you know, they were like 18 inches tall. I had them in big pots. Right. I didn't overwater them. I didn't know what the trick was because I enjoyed the aroma uh, in the house during Christmas and that, but they just seemed to, to wither away and die. Yeah, rosemary is not a great plant to grow inside. It's not to say it's oh. impossible, but uh, that's generally what's going to happen. I What I do is every year I get uh, generally a rosemary tree. So in other words, it's a rosemary that's been, you know, at, in, in the holiday seasons, it's kind of prone to look like a Christmas tree. And uh, you know, they always seem to go downhill. I'm very careful with them and everything else. But before I can get them outside, occasionally I can get them outside and they're okay. But for the most part, rosemary is not a good one for inside growing. Well, I spent like sixty dollars on these Whoa. two, oh. thirty bucks a piece, painful. and I, yeah, it was painful. But uh, the store acknowledged them and took care of me. So in that respect, it's okay. And what was the name of that that lawn doctor, or is it the lawn doctor that you call? Yeah, it's called Lawn Doctor. So just one eight hundred then Lawn Doctor. Gotcha. Thank you very much for your show. Sure. God well, bless. thank you. And now let's head to Florissant and see what's going on with Jerry. Hi, Jerry. Hey, hi, Mike. Hello. Yes. Go ahead. Yeah, Mike. Yes. Uh, is it too late to plant uh, cana bulbs? Oh, heavens no. Okay. And I have another problem. My 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 irises. I've got a lot of, but a lot of them I don't have. Are they too tight? Uh, if your iris are not blooming, they're old. Okay. So, in other words, if, if a fan doesn't produce any flowers for a year or two, then you might as well dig that section up and just throw it away. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Yep. I mean, I've had you know a lady call in a couple years ago when I told some people that she said she had some that were eight years, never had any flowers, and all of a sudden they started flowering again. And that's possible, but it's generally not going to be the case. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Let's go to Barb's yard. Hi, Barb. Hi, Mike. Hi. Uh, can how much sun can I want to move my big jade outside and the same with the fiddle leaf? Uh, basically, they can take pretty much full sun, but just not initially going out. The jade plant can take full sun all day long, every day. The fiddle leaf fig, uh, those huge leaves, I would say I wouldn't put it in full direct sun regardless. I would say if you can give it, it some some protection uh, from the, let's say, from ten o'clock, no, eleven o'clock to three o'clock in the afternoon of no direct sun, that would be the best. But it can go outside. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Thank you. Yep. And let's see if we can get one more call in. Diane, can you do it quickly? 
Yes, um, I have three lilac. This is Springfield, Illinois. Uh, three lilac bushes that all different varieties that are not coming out this year. No foliage, no flowers, no nothing. Very little. Wow. Very little. Yeah. It may be just you maybe had some severe weather that knocked them back a little bit, but I mean they're in full flower here and I know Springfield's a little bit further north, so I would just be patient with them and if they're three different varieties and they're all doing the same thing, that doesn't sound so good. Can I cut them back? Uh you could, yeah. I would wait for a little bit before I did it, but uh it's just not you know if you cut them back, you're definitely not going to get any flowers. If they've already just slightly started flowering, then uh yeah, go ahead and prune them and just kind of keep your fingers crossed. Yeah, because there's hardly any foliage, and a lot of it is dead. Ooh, I would yeah. say you can fool with them if you want to, but maybe consider if how long have you had them? Uh, about four years. Ooh, so they're relatively young. So this location is probably not the best spot for lilacs just in general. Oh, you mean our location? Yeah. No, I don't mean your region. I just mean where you have them in your landscape. They want to be in full oh, sun gotcha. all day long, every day would be the ideal circumstance. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Yeah, so, I mean, it's just uh, you can try, you know, get some new ones if you want, but just, like I said, full sun all day long, every day, and they like an alkaline soil, so definitely don't put any kind of uh, iron sulfur or anything like that on them, so, and don't plant them close to azaleas if you're going to feed your azaleas, so just be really, really careful. Well, thanks, Diane. Yeah, we, you're welcome. Thank you. Yep, and uh, Gretchen and Dee Dee, sorry we're not going to get a chance to talk to you today. I want to thank everybody for calling in and having me on your show. And uh, I guess I will be back next week. At least I think so. So enjoy this warm weather. See you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.